glad that we serve a chain breaker, one who is able to take the, 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 the chains of our life and obliterate them off of us. I don't mean just break them a little bit, but just obliterate them and make them gone from our lives. I don't know how you are, but in my life, throughout my life, there have been various things that I found myself dealing with. Uh, at, at different times, it's different things that I deal with. And all of those things can serve to chain me up and to keep me from being free. But he wants me to be free. He doesn't want me to be in bondage to anything. And therefore, he has provided everything that I need to be free. He's my chain breaker. Amen. And so I'm thankful for that today. Matthew chapter 11, and then uh, put a little uh, marker in there, and then we're going to go over to Luke chapter 7. And while you're turning there, just let me say I'm, I'm so thrilled to see you here today. And uh, I see some faces that I've not seen in a while. And uh, good to see you back. And I, I noticed that you found your way back to your chairs. And, and that's a good thing. But I'm just going to put you on, on warning. You know, we'll, we'll give these chairs away in a heartbeat if you're not here every week. So uh, anybody comes in here, they're welcome. But we're glad to see you today. And all the regulars, thank you for being here in the Lord's house you know, I don't know. Do you ever fantasize about anything? Do you just ever, ever just sit around and wonder what it would be like to be able to take one of those vacations that you see on TV? You know, and you see all these people and they're, and they're, they're in these crazy places around the world. Do you ever just fantasize and think, wow, what it would be like to be able to go to a place like that? You know, for a pastor, what we fantasize about every Saturday night is whether or not you're going to be here. And I just got to thinking yesterday, I wonder what it would be like just, just one Sunday. I mean, I, I, I'm smart enough, enough not to expect it every Sunday. But I just wonder what it would be like uh, if just one Sunday, everybody who calls this church their home church, or even likes it a little bit, just got up on Sunday morning and decided, I'm going to church today. I'm going to be there, I'm going to put on some clothes, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to bring my tithe and my offering, and, and everybody I see, I'm going to shake their hand, pat their back, encourage them, smile at them, and if they're not careful, I might kiss them right on the lips, just to let them know how much I love them. And then come prepared to receive everything that God has in store and all of the provision that he has given us. I, I just wonder what it would be. I fantasize about things like that. I know these two guys down there have thought that before. And I'm just, I, what I'm trying to say to you is, is that I love seeing you in the house of the Lord. Because just the very fact that you're here, is, it says to me that you've made a decision that I want everything that God has for me. And I know that I can get it in the presence of God's people and in the presence of his Holy Spirit and by receiving his holy word into my life. So thank you for being here today. And go ahead and just greet your neighbor and say, Pastors, proud of you today for showing up. Amen. Amen. The pastor's proud of you for showing up. Amen. Now, by now, you, you understand that we're in a seven-week series. This is week three where we're talking about 
various prison experiences in the Word of God. And we've talked about different people who were in prison and some of the things that they were dealing with. We talked about Samson last week. It was interesting. I had someone come up after church and say, Pastor, I've, I've heard a lot of sermons about Samson. I've never heard one quite like that. And I found out some things about Samson that I did not know. Well, that, that is good because I, I want to feel like that I'm bringing a fresh word of revelation to you so that you can move from where you are to a new level in Christ. And so today we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about a man by the name of John the Baptist. And we see him in Matthew and in Luke. And he is literally in prison. And I'm going to go ahead and spoil the story for you now and let you know that John never did get out of prison. He died in that prison. In fact, he was beheaded in that prison for the sake of Jesus Christ. And some of you may be thinking, well, you know, then I don't want to hear a sermon like that. But wait, there's good news. Because he knew that his eternity was secure. It was locked down and locked in by Jesus Christ. And, and, and he understood that. But there was another type of prison experience that, that he was dealing with. And it was the bondage of doubt. Let me ask you today, have you ever doubted? Have you ever doubted what the Word of God has to say? Have you ever doubted what the Spirit of the Lord maybe has spoken to you? Have you ever doubted what you were taught in Sunday school and what you know to be true? And yet in, the, in a moment of weakness, you find yourself doubting whether or not it's accurate or true or not. Well, we're going to talk about that today. Now, I want you to pray with me that the Lord will release us right this moment Release our minds to be able to receive freely the Word of God today. I'm believing that God is going to set some of you free from doubt today. I didn't come today just for a religious experience. I didn't come to go through the motions at the end of this service. I already feel led of the Spirit of God to lay hands upon you and pray that if there is doubt in your mind, that God is going to release you from that. And when you walk out of these doors today, you're going to leave differently than when you came. You may have come inbound, but when you leave, you're going to be free because the Son of God is going to set you free today today. Are you ready to receive that today? Amen. Well, it starts with his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being in your house today. Thank you that you've given me a word for these people today. And thank you that you're going to allow me to speak effectively and efficiently by the Spirit so that every word that goes forth from my mouth will be a representation of your heart for your people and that your people are going to put aside their circumstances, their worries, and their care, and they're going to receive liberally the word of the Lord so that when they leave here, they may have crawled in, but they're dancing their way out of here today because they're going to have been set free by the power of Almighty God. I thank you in advance for it in Jesus' name name, amen, and amen. Now this morning we're going to examine some passages of scripture in which Jesus responds to the doubt of John the Baptist. And in these passages we're going to learn some of the causes of doubt as well as how to deal with doubt properly. 
Now, I want to begin by really telling you and explaining to you what I'm talking about because there are, there are several different uh, nuances when we think about this word doubt. Some doubt is just plain old sinful. It is when God looks at you and says, this is the way it is. And you look back at him and say, well, I'm just not sure if I believe that or not. I, I know that you've said it and you've declared it. And I know that I've read it in the book many, many times. But I am choosing not to believe what you have said to be true. Now, when you're walking in that kind of doubt, let me tell you, there's no hope for you. There, there, there's no hope for victory for you. But for the sake of the message today, we're going to define doubt as simply the expression of uncertainty. Now, what that means is, is that I have an open mind to the things of God. My mind is open to what his word says, but I have not yet come to a place where I'm ready to jump in wholeheartedly because I'm still uncertain about some things. I, I don't have all of the information that I need to make a qualified decision. And today, that's the kind of doubt that we're going to talk about. Now, I want to begin by saying that our greatest battles are those that are in our own mind. Our greatest battles are those that are in our own mind. And we need to know that if, if our doubt is faced positively, it can result in a stronger faith and a higher place of maturity in him. How many of you ever doubted something and then God came through for you in such a way that you could never, ever doubt that again? I mean, you could never say, I'm just not sure about that. I don't know. No, from there on, the rest of your life, you have to say, well, there may have been a time that I doubted it, but then God came through and did what he did after he said what he said. And now I can never, ever doubt that thing in my life again because God showed up and made sure that I understood that what he says is truth and he can be counted on. Amen. So we want to talk about that today. So let's begin by reading Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. Matthew eleven two 2 through 6. It says, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who was to come or who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now turn over to Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 22, if you will. It says pretty much the same thing, a little differently. It says the disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? <clears throat> and in 
that hour. Take a pencil or something and just mark that in your Bible. In some translations, it says, in that very hour. In some translations, it says, immediately. I want you to note that. In that very hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them and said, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The Poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. <clears throat> Boy, wouldn't you have loved to have been there that day? Let's, let's talk a little bit about who John the Baptist was. I'm sure that you've heard about him and through, and, and through your Sunday school and, and, and churches that you've been a part of. But let me just remind you that his parents were Zacharias and Elizabeth. His father, Zacharias, was a priest. The angel of the Lord came to Zacharias and he said, Look, I know that your wife Elizabeth is older. She has gotten on in age and she is really too old to have children. But that is not going to stop me. You're going to uh, be with her and she's going to conceive and she's going to bear a son. And I want you to call his name John. Now, I always thought this was a little bit unfair, but you know, who am I to question God on things like this? But Zacharias, being an old man, he said, well, you know, I'm up for it, you know, but I'm just not sure whether or not that's going to be possible or not. And the angel of the Lord, because he doubted, said, you're not going to speak at all until the child is born, until I give you your voice back. And immediately he was made mute so that he could not speak any more doubt into the situation. I'm not going to preach this message today, but I just want to drop it in your spirit that some of you just need to shut your mouth up and stop speaking doubt into your situation. And when I point to you, remember I've got a thumb pointing right back at me. I need to do the same thing that you need to do. We need to just shut our mouths and let God be God. Let God's word go forth unhindered by the the mouth of the doubt and the words that seep out of our mouth. But I'm not preaching that today. When he grew up, John the Baptist lived in the desert and he ate honey and he ate locusts and he had weird clothes. That's all I'll say about that. We know that he baptized Jewish people in the River Jordan when they confessed their sins. He was the one who baptized Jesus in the River Jordan. That's found in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And afterwards, it was John the Baptist who recognized him and announced him to everyone that was there. We also know that Jesus, when speaking of John the Baptist, he said that there is no greater man than John that has ever been born by a woman. Now, I don't know about you, but I wish the Lord could say something like that about me, don't you? I'm I'm thankful for his grace, and I'm thankful that because of his grace, everything that Jesus speaks about me is good stuff, amen. But he said, there's never been a man as good as John the Baptist born from a woman. 
We know that John rebuked Herod because Herod had an adulterous marriage to Herodias who was his sister-in-law. And then we know that on Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias named Salome danced before the king in a provocative way and and stirred his passions to the point. He said, I'm going to give this young lady anything she wants up to half of my kingdom. Now, I'm going to tell you, I could, my mind could just go wild. You know, some of those vacations I was talking about earlier of all these places, and I, that would certainly be on my mind. But you know what she wanted? Because of her mother and the anger that her mother had toward John the Baptist, she said, ask him for John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. And that's exactly what she got. And that's how John the Baptist died, in a prison, beheaded for the glory of God. Now, I know that none of that sounds exciting to you, but I want to tell you that the real enemy here was not death because when, when John the Baptist died, if Scripture is correct, and it is, uh, he was ushered into the presence of God. Amen. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Precious in the eyes of the Lord uh, is the death of his saints. So John the Baptist went from being locked up in prison to being in the presence of Almighty God. So don't mourn for John the Baptist because the best thing possible for him was for him to die in that prison and go and be with the Lord. Amen? Matthew 11, verse 2, it says, Now when John in prison heard the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. Why was he in prison? Well, we know that he was in prison because he was personally righteous. And it made the government officials uh, uncomfortable because he was a righteous man. We also know that he was an evangelist. Everywhere he went, he started telling people about Jesus. And when he would tell people about Jesus, they would believe the story that Jesus was who Jesus said he was and that he could do what he said he could do. And people got it. They started getting saved everywhere. And they were getting saved in such volume that John the Baptist, he just hung out out down at the river Jordan and he would baptize them one after another after another after another after another and when he'd get tired of baptizing these here come another group over here and he'd baptize them and baptize them and baptize them until finally they said enough no more the only way we're going to be able to shut your mouth uh, and keep you and prevent you from baptizing converts into Jesus Christ is to throw you in to the prison and that's exactly what they did. I already told you because he confronted Herod Antipas about his sinful relation with his sister-in-law. What Herod did is that he sent away his his brother and, and while his brother was away, he started a relationship with his brother's wife. And John the Baptist got right up in his face and he said, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you are in charge. I don't care if you've got all the power in this government or not. I want you to understand that what you have done is wrong. It is contrary to the will of God. It is contrary to God's ways and the law. And you are going to pay a very high price for your actions with your sister-in-law. You know what we need in this world today? 
We need some more John the Baptist that will stand up and say, listen, I don't care what the government says and I don't care what anybody else says. The only thing that I know and care about is what thus saith the word of the Lord because if the word says it, uh, baby, you can mark it down. It's going to happen just as the word of God says that it is. We don't like to call sin, sin anymore, but if the Bible calls it sin, somebody better start standing up and saying that it is the sin of the world that has put us in the position that we are in right now. He said, well, some government official might put me in prison. That's all right. It'd be better for you to die in prison declaring the word of the Lord than to compromise on the message that you know is true so that you don't have to be in a difficult situation. Come on, church, it's time for us to rise up. It's time for us to take our place in this society again. It's time for us to stop being afraid of what people might say. It's it's time for us to stop feeling like, oh, I don't know if that's politically uh, politically correct or not. I'm telling you, who gives a royal rip? If the word of the Lord declares it to be true, it's time for the church to stand up and declare it to be true. Amen. None of that was in my notes. That was all free. John had been faithful to his calling from birth. He was the voice crying in the wilderness to make ready for the coming of the Messiah. It was John that preached the Messiah would baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire. It was John who warned that the Messiah would come with a winnowing fork in his hand and thoroughly clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barns, but burn up the chaff with everlasting fire. It was John that proclaimed that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was John who baptized Jesus and was witness to the Spirit of God coming and lighting upon him and hearing from the heavenlies a voice that supernaturally declared, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Man, what a powerhouse. What a preacher. What a prophet. And then we see him in prison. And the same man that did all that I just told you about sent two of his disciples to Jesus and said, Hey, go ask him, is he the expected one? Is he the one that we've been looking for? Or should we look for another You know what he was saying? He was literally saying, I've been uncompromising in my belief that you are the Messiah. And then he was asking, am I wrong? And Jesus responded. Now, I want to remind you that we're talking about doubt today. We're talking about how that... It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter how many years you've been serving the Lord. It doesn't matter if you cut your teeth on church pews and had one of those Sunday school pins that came all the way down to your kneecaps. It it doesn't matter about any of that. I'm telling you that there will be times in your life uh, when there is so much 
pressure from outside that it will cause you to begin to doubt the very things that you've been taught and the very things that you know to be true. And I want to talk about four elements of doubt this morning. The first element is that you may begin to doubt when trying circumstances come your way. Listen, you need to know if you got into this thing called Christianity because you thought there'd never be any more troubles, somebody lied to you because there are going to be difficulties. There are going to be hardships. There are going to be trying circumstances. In fact, the entire scripture is full of men and women who served God, loved God, walked with God, and yet find themselves in difficult circumstances and trying circumstances. And that's exactly what happened to John the Baptist. And because of his faith, they came against him and they threw him in prison. And being in prison when he thought that he would be free and thought that he would be able to declare the word of the Lord caused him to begin to doubt. Now, the chances of you being thrown in prison for your faith in, in this modern day and in the United States of America is probably very slim. In fact, probably not at all, although the crazier the world gets, the closer we come to that kind of environment in our world. But you're probably not going to spend any time in jail in your life, not for your faith. You might spend some time in jail from so, for, for some unfaithful things that you may have done, but not for your faith. More likely for you, doubt will come in with things that happen in your life. For instance, it may, that you will, it may be that you'll experience a financial emergency in your life and you'll begin to think, God, I was faithful in my tithe. I was faithful in my giving. I've done everything that the Word of God declares for me to do. Why am I experiencing a financial difficulty in my life right now? I'll tell you why. It's a trying circumstance that... That the enemy of your soul has brought into your life uh, <clears throat> to test your faith uh, and get you to doubt whether or not what God says in his word is true. It may be a lost job. It may be an unexpected lawsuit against you. It could be a relationship that at one time was sweet, but now it has gone sour. It could be a spouse that you loved uh, that no longer loves you, uh, a child that you were one time close to, and, and now distance has brought you apart, and attitudes has, and have separated you from them. It could be that kind of thing. Let me tell you that it's my opinion of having been a pastor for all the years that I've been a pastor, that one of the things that plague the people of God more than anything just about that I'm aware of is when relationships go sour. When people that you've loved all of a sudden said something or did something or disappointed you by their actions or by your words and all of a sudden you've got a circumstance and if you're not careful and if you don't root that thing out of your spirit, it will build in you until you won't even be able to stand the person or look at the person that you need to be forgiving and restoring relationship to. And it always takes us by surprise. It always surprises us when a relationship turns sour. It could be an accident or a natural disaster. Can you imagine what it would have been like a few weeks ago 
to have a home in Houston, Texas or, or, or in Florida when, when the hurricanes came through. Can you imagine what it would be like to have lived uh, in, in Mexico when, when the earthquake came and devastated their area? Can you imagine what it would have been like to live in Northern California as the wildfires swept through and burned uh, houses to the ground and people lost everything that was there? Can you imagine you get up one morning and everything is great and everything is grand and you get up the next morning and everything around you has been charred and your life has been decimated by the works of the enemy. Can you imagine what it would be like? It could cause us to doubt God's word and God's blessing. Maybe it's a negative report from the doctor. Maybe it's death that takes a loved one much too soon. Listen, many things can be setbacks to our faith. But if doubts are processed in light of God's plan and God's word, even trying circumstances can have a positive effect on our faith and in our life. Don't forget what James chapter 1 verses 2 through 8 says. It says, count it all joy, my brothers. And he also means sisters. When you meet various trials of different kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect so that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. For if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not suppose uh, that he will receive anything from the Lord he is double minded and unstable in all of his ways don't let trying circumstances drive you to a place of doubt because as we just read doubt will prevent you from having the fullness of God's spirit in your life But when you can push through doubt, when you can move doubt out of the way, when you can just muster up even a tiny mustard seed of faith, there is nothing that shall be impossible for the child of God. Amen. I'm having so much fun preaching today. Some of you look like you're in absolute misery. But I ain't going to quit. I'm going to keep driving that nail until finally it solidifies the stud that is holding up the roof. Amen. And when you walk out of here today, you're not going to come in shaky like you came, but you're going to be strong in your faith, believing that the word of God is true. Amen. One of the world's most loved comic strips is Hagar the Horrible. Anybody ever seen it or remember it? In one strip, Hagar is kneeling in prayer and he says, it's not easy to believe in you, God. We never see you. How come you never show up? How do we even know that you exist? 
And in the next frame, it shows a flower that's coming up through the ground right beside Hagar. And in the next frame, there is a volcano erupting in the distance. And in the next frame, an eclipse of the sun that is turning the sky black. And in the next frame, there's a star shooting across the stratosphere. And in the next uh, frame, there's a tidal wave rushing over the top of Hagar and almost drowning him. And in the next frame, there's a lightning flash. And in the next frame, there's a bush beginning to burn. And in the final frame, just before Hagar responds, uh, there is a stone uh, that is being rolled away from the entrance to the tomb. Hagar pulls himself up from the mud. He's dripping wet. He is surrounded by darkness and he says, okay, okay, I give up, God. Every time I bring up this subject, all I get is a bunch of interruptions. You know, sometimes I think we think like that. God, when are you going to come show up? When are you, when are you going to come to my rescue? When, when, Lord, are you going to be here? When, God, are you going to come through for me? And all the time, he is right there beside you, bringing you signs and building your faith and letting you know that there is nothing uh, that can stop him uh, from doing what he needs to do in your life. Amen. So instead of seeing trying circumstances as interruptions, we must learn to see them as stepping stones to a deeper level of maturity in our spirit life journey. Amen. Yeah. Number two. Woo. We need to get a lazy boy recliner up here so I can take a break every now and then. The second thing that brings doubt in our life is limited knowledge. It's when you don't know everything that you think you know. It's when you don't know everything that you should know. Listen, I've already told you that John was the one declaring things by faith that people needed to hear. But there was one piece of information that John did not have. Because he, like so many others, did not see Jesus coming as a suffering servant. That's the reason when, when Peter heard Jesus say that he had to die, Peter said, oh, no, 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 that's not going to happen. We're going to stand beside you all the way. We'll go to death with you if we have to. And Jesus said, no, no, Peter, you're not able to do that. You see, he made that declaration because he didn't have the knowledge Instead of them seeing Jesus as a suffering servant, they were all seeing him as a conquering king. They wanted him to come and move all of the Roman Empire out of the way. They wanted him to establish an earthly kingdom. They wanted him to take over the throne. They wanted him to start calling the shots. They wanted him to be the governor of the land. But Jesus did not come to establish an earthly kingdom 
kingdom. And I'm so glad that he didn't because if he had, it would have been just like when he was in an earthly body and he could only do so much. He could only be in one place at a time. That's the reason that he said, when I go away and I send the spirit among you, you're going to do things that I've done. And in fact, greater things than these shall you do because I'm going to the father to make intercession for you. I'm telling you, I'm thankful that Jesus was not a regional Jesus. He was not a regional king. He was not a regional servant, but he was a, he was a servant who came to die upon a cross so that you and I could have salvation in our lives. You see, John the Baptist just didn't know that he didn't come to be a suffering servant. He thought he came to be a conquering king. No, he had wrong information. And you know, for many of us, we have wrong information. And when doubts come and trying circumstances come, we don't understand why we're going through those things because we have a lack of accurate understanding of Scripture. And that's my job. Listen, if you don't hear anything else I say, please listen to this. God didn't send me here to give you chill bumps. God didn't send me here to make you feel good. In fact, there are times that I'm just going to have to make a few of you just downright mad at me. But that's the reason God sent me here. He didn't send me here to be your buddy. He didn't send me here to be your friend. He didn't send me here to be your, your playmate or anything. No, he sent me here to preach and declare the word of the Lord. And I'm telling you, this word is quick and powerful and it is sharp and it divides the spirit. There are times that you're going to walk out of here and say, I hate that man. I'm telling you, I've got to find me another place. I've got to go somewhere some somebody can tickle my ears. Well, you just go on down the road and get your ears tickled. But I'm telling you, what you really need is a bold pastor who will stand up and declare the truth of the Word of God and tell you how blessings are going to flow into your life. Oh, he really is mean. He's mad. I'm not mad. I'll tell you, if I'm mad, I'm mad at the devil because I've seen him sneak into your lives and make you believe things that are not true, make you believe things that are contrary to the word of God, make you believe things that are not according to the word of God. And because of it, you are not living and walking in the fullness of God's spirit. And I'm telling you, if I'm angry, I'm angry at the devil. I'm not angry at you. You have everything that you need uh, available to you to be victorious. Uh, and when you get your spirit in alignment with his word, I'm telling you things uh, are going to change in your life. So I got a word from the Lord. You know, we take words from the Lord that God never intended for us to have. I used to love it when we'd sing that song a few years back. Blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. How many of you remember that? Blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. 
We get up and say, I'm telling you what, we're blowing the trumpet. We're putting the devil on notice that we're coming after him in the name of Jesus. We're going to be victorious. That is not what that means. God is saying, I'm getting ready to send judgment on my people. And so you better blow the trumpet and warn them. Unless they get right with me, there's going to be devastation coming into their lives. So blow the trumpet and warn my people of my judgment. Some of you say, I take back all my shout moves on that. I'm glad I'm never going to sing that again. I'm just trying to tell you that if we don't read the scripture, if we don't study the scripture in the context in which it is given, then we're going to take words out of context that were never intended for us at all. And because they were never intended for us at all, they cannot work the work in our lives that need to be, that needs to be done. So we've got to get in context. We've got to get in there. We've got to see what God is up to. Wally Lamb the, the, the author of The Hour I First Believe, he said, the seeker embarks on a journey and finds what he want to, to find what he wants and discovers along the way what he needs. Let me say it again. I messed it up. The seeker embarks on a journey to find what he wants and discovers along the way what he needs. Is that clock right back there, 11, 20? Man, I still got a lot of time to preach today. <laughs> so that's all right, I'll leave anyway. Well, go on. I'm going to keep preaching. You see, we've got to see what God sees. Until we see what God sees, we're never going to have victory in our lives. I love the story in the Old Testament found in 2 Kings chapter 6. When Elisha and his, and his servant are there and they're, they're in, Israel's in battle against Aram and, and every time Aram decides that they're going to attack Israel, God whispers and, and tells Elisha what they're going to do. And Elisha begins to speak it out to Israel and say, this is what they're going to do. And then they'd go to war a few weeks later and God would whisper in Elisha's ear and Elisha would tell the generals of Israel and say, here's what the king of Aram has planned for you. You need to get yourself ready. And every time they would come to battle against Israel, then God would whisper into the ear of Elisha and tell him what to get ready for. And one day the king of Aaron says, I'm going to kill that Elisha. If it's the last thing I do, I'm, that man is going to die. And he starts to sense armies, multiplied armies after Elisha. And Elisha is holed up in this area and he's surrounded by all of these armies. And the next morning his servant gets up to go get the coffee on and he goes out and he looks and he sees all of the enemy surrounding Elisha and himself. And he comes back in and he's scared to death. And he said, he said, hey Elisha, you're not going to believe this, but 
The enemy is all around us. There's no hope whatsoever. I don't know what we're going to do. And Elisha just said, pass me a cup of coffee. I need some coffee. He starts, I don't know if that's in the Bible, but I'm preaching so I can take my liberties if I want. He, he's preaching some of that bean coffee. I'm not just, I mean, he put it in a grinder and ground it all up and he's drinking that coffee. And, and the servant saying, why are you so calm? What in the world is wrong with you? The enemy is all around us. And he said, oh, you just don't see what I see in the spirit. You just don't know what I already know to be true. And he prayed for him and he said, Lord, help him to see that those that are with us are far more than those who are against us. He said, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see it. And the servant went outside, and when he went outside, he saw something different than when he looked at before. He saw the enemy. They were still there. They still had their plans, but beyond the enemy, he saw the angels of the Lord that were there in mass, in the mountains and all around. And it, it, it came true that those that were with them were far more than the enemy. Listen, some of you today, the devil has you afraid. The devil got you scared to death. The devil has called out something on you and you are shaking in your boots. Uh, let me tell you today, uh, if you'll just open your eyes uh, and begin to see it like Jesus is seeing it, you will discover that the power of God is greater than the power of the enemy. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, open his eyes and the Lord did. Number three, the next thing that contributes to our doubt is what I'm calling societal saturation. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't have a clue what that means. Societal saturation. The other day, I decided I was going to, it's a beautiful morning and I was going to go outside. I had my Bible and I had my coffee. And I was going to sit down on the deck and I was going to read and just kind of meditate. And I went out there and I got things all set up the way that I wanted it. Boomer was out there. He was, he's laying down. He's all set and I'm, I'm all set. And I, I kind of sat down like this. And when I did, I made a discovery. It had rained during the night. And the pillows were saturated with water. And there was a transfer. I wish I could say that it was a holy transfer of God to me. But there was a transfer from the cushions past my britches into my inner britches. I was saturated. You know what I'm saying? And I kind of got up and I just saturated. It was everywhere because there had been a transfer of something I did not know was there transferred into me. And it dawned on me that the world that we live in is like that. It sneaks up on us. And when we least expect it, it saturates us. 
And we find ourselves in a position that our movements now are determined by what has saturated us. You see, I was already saturated. I had a couple of choices to make. I could change my britches or I could just live with it for a couple of hours. I decided to live with it for a couple of hours. Yeah, but I decided... I'd walk around a little bit, but when I walked, I kind of walked sideways, you know, to people. I didn't let them see that I had wet pants because I didn't know what they might think about me. And, you know, I am getting older and those kinds of things. You just don't know. But when you're saturated, whatever has saturated you will determine your movements. That's a word for somebody today. Whatever has saturated you will determine your movements. And that's the way that it was. And you see, John was saturated with doubt. He was saturated with his circumstances. He was saturated with a lack of information. And because he was saturated in doubt, it made him question things that before he would have never questioned in his lifetime. We're saturated by the news media. We're saturated by our politicians. We're saturated by Hollywood now. I don't know when Hollywood got all high and mighty and feel like that they can tell me what it is that I need to believe. I don't need, I don't need them to tell me what to do. And now we're being saturated by sports figures. And I don't know which side of the coin that you live on there. And I'm not going to try and make anybody feel bad. But you can't turn on a ball game without some kind of political or societal statement that's being made by somebody that simply ought to run the football. Social media, what we read, even preachers and teachers. Don't you take my word for it. You listen to what I say and then you go to the word and see whether or not I'm telling you is true. Our family and friends, they saturate us with their attitudes. They saturate us with their beliefs. They, satisfy, they saturate us with their morality. And if we're not careful as men and women of God, we will allow things to, to begin to seep into our spirit and sneak into our spirit. And before long, we're singing along with songs that, 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 that declare that it's okay to have extramarital relationships. It's okay that, you know, that we're drunk on every Friday and Saturday when the Word of God says be not drunk with wine uh, wherein is excess but be filled with the spirit of God and we allow these things uh, to seep into our spirit we listen to the politicians and we listen to the news media until we become so angry that we start talking back to the TV and saying I don't know where in the world you learn something like that and we are saturated with the world and with society but listen God has not called us uh, to fill ourselves up uh, with what the world has to offer, but to fill our spirits uh, with the Word and the Spirit of God so that we can be more than conquerors through Him. As much as people refuse to believe it, the company you keep does 
have an influence on your choices. Listen, societal saturation diminishes along with its related doubts as your love for God, your understanding of life from the biblical perspective, and your pursuit of holy living increases. You know, I can summarize that with Scripture. When we draw closer to Him, He draws closer to us. Isn't that good news today? Number four. We begin to doubt when our life is filled with unfulfilled expectations. You see, when we come into life, we have certain expectations. We have expectations of of our marriages and we have expectations of what we want to be when we grow up and we have expectations of this and we're going to be rich and we're going to have everything that we need and we're going to meet people and we're going to be well known and we have all these expectations and then life starts happening and things don't go the way that we thought they would go and we get disappointed and we, we embrace doubt Because really what we did is we planned our own life not knowing that God saw the end from the beginning and had a plan for our life before we were even conceived in our mother's womb. And we never connected in our mind and in our spirit with the plan of God. Instead, we just made our own plans. And when our plans fell short, then we got disappointed with God. And because we became disappointed with God, doubt set in. And listen, I'm telling you, very seldom will there be anyone in the kingdom of God whose life goes exactly like you thought it would. Even Jesus in the garden, you better start coming and playing. People are starting to get nervous now. Even Jesus in the garden, when he's kneeling and praying, he's saying, He's saying, Father, if there's any other option here, if there's there's any other way, then Lord, let that happen. Let this cup pass from me. But aren't you thankful today that he said, oh God, but not my will, but thy will be done. Because he prayed that prayer today, we have victory through him. Unfilled expectations. I hope Kelly won't mind me telling this story. If she does, I'll have to ask her to forgive me after church. Being the lady of God that I know that she is, I know she will. You know that Kelly's sister passed away this week. What you don't know, unless you were here Wednesday night, is that I had been asking the Lord to raise her up as a testimony in this contemporary age of God's healing. I said, Lord, she's she's not old enough to die. She's your child. God, just think what it would be like if you'd heal her. If she'd set up on the side of that bed free from cancer and free from sickness and free from disease. Lord, just think how many people could be made aware of the power of God God I'm asking you I want you to heal her I want you to raise her up 
And I went to the hospital, and when I got there, there was no one there, just me. And I walked in. She is laying there unresponsive. And I kneeled down beside her on the floor. And I took her hand and I prayed every scripture that I knew to pray. I prayed everything that I could think of that might cause the Lord to say, that will activate my my healing on her behalf. I, I declared it. I claimed it. I did everything that I knew to do. And when I said in Jesus' name, I I stood up and I stood beside her. And I was expecting to see what Jairus saw in the New Testament when his little girl sat up on the side of the bed and began to walk because she'd been healed by the power of God. And I just standing there waiting for her to sit up and say, I'm healed. And I saw nothing and I heard nothing until the cleaning lady who had been in the room with me and I did not know that she was there. She had a broom in one hand and a mop in the other. Watching me, I guess like she thought I must have lost my mind. And I turned around and looked at her and smiled and she said, do you mind if I clean the room now? I was like Hagar. God, why don't you show up? Why don't you come into this room and and heal her? God, I know what your word says. I've prayed it. I've preached it. I've believed it. Why don't you show up? And as quick as I said it, the Holy Spirit reminded me. He said, I have provided healing for my body in many ways. Son, I can raise her right now. That's no problem for me whatsoever. I can send a doctor in here tomorrow who knows exactly what to give her and how to treat her so that she can have a positive resolution to the cancer that's in her body. And I can bring her home to be with me and rest what was only a temporary body for her in the first place. Because I've got one that will never be corrupted by sickness or disease that I have prepared for her. So are you going to trust me now? Are you going to leave it in my hands? And I left the room and I left the lady to clean the room. And I said, Lord, I trust you. A few days later, I went to the hospital. She's still there. Family is there. And I 
I, I felt led of the Holy Spirit to speak to her dad and to say to him, don't forget, I know you've preached it many times. I know that I know that you have it in your heart and in your spirit. I know, I know, I know. But don't forget, God has provided many different ways to minister to your loved one right now. And we simply have to trust him with the answer. And we visited for a little while and we prayed over her and I walked out, said goodbye to everybody and walked out. And I promise you, I got lost in the hallway. I wasn't sure where I was going and wasn't sure where I was going to wind up. But I finally made it to my car in the parking lot. And I promise as soon as I sat down in the car, in my seat, my phone went off and Leslie texted me and said, Krista just passed that quick just like that and in my car I said to the Lord I said my first response is to be disappointed and had you not spoken to me the other day and reminded me that you are God and that you are never wrong, I would not be able to rejoice the way that I am rejoicing now. For your child has left this earth, but she is in the presence of her Savior. Let me tell you, when life doesn't go the way that you planned, it does not change the fact that he is God and he is able to work out whatever needs to happen to bring about a positive resolution in your life and in your circumstances. nothing the devil wants any more than for you to doubt him. So if you'd like to keep, kick the devil's teeth in today, the best thing that I know that you can do is simply say, I may not see it with my eyes yet, but my brain knows what God has said. And since it's my brain that feeds the rest of my body and my spirit, I'm not going to live by feelings. I'm going to live by faith and what God has declared to be true. Many, many years ago, we used to sing this old song in the church. And I don't know if you'll remember it or not. There's a good chance that some of you will not remember it at all. But I didn't want you to go home today without me singing for you. And you may like it and, and you may wish I hadn't have done it. And I, I'll ask them to come help me. But if you know this song and if it comes back to your mind, I want you to just sing it along with me and worship and I want us to worship for just a moment and then after we worship I'm going to pray for you that whatever doubt is in your mind today that God is going to obliterate that doubt in your mind 
He will do it in Jesus' name. You ready to sing? Here we go. Here we go. If the road before you offers not but toil and pain, if the sun is hidden by dark clouds of rain, if without a ray of hope your life is filled with care, take it to the Lord. in Jesus he will see you through never will you find a friend so kind and true just take it to the Lord in prayer when it seems that not a friend on earth can understand when temptation comes to you from every hand when strength is almost gone and there's no one to care just take it to the lord stand with us and sing it if you know it come on the refrain oh many are the heartaches that will come to you just keep your trust in jesus he will see you through and never will you find a friend so kind and true When your heart is filled with grief In your times of sorrow When there's no relief Just remember There is one who knows the load you bear So take it to the Lord in prayer Sing it with me Oh, many are the heartaches That will come to you Just keep your trust in Just take it to the Lord. Sing that part again. Sing the refrain again. Come on. Oh, many are the heartaches that will come to you. Keep your trust in Jesus. He will see you through. And never will you find a friend so kind and true. Take it to Remember that old song. I want to pray for everybody in the house today that you've been struggling with doubt. You know that God told you, He gave you a promise. You know that He confirmed it by His Word, and you've been holding on and trusting Him, but you've not seen it yet. You don't have peace in your spirit that it's under control, and you begin doubting. That's exactly where the devil wants you. But Jesus wants you full of faith today. And if you've been struggling with doubt, I want you to step out of your seat and come down this way. I want to pray with you today. Come on, don't, don't hesitate. No, no need for you to doubt. No need for you to have reservation about it. Come on down here. Come on down here. Where the Spirit of the Lord is. Come on down here. There is freedom. 
down here. There is from where you are to where you want to be it will require a transfer you've got to transfer the doubt out of you and you have to replace it with the promises of God's word John the Baptist said are you the one that we expected or should we look for another option are you the one? And Jesus responded by going about his business and healing the sick and raising the dead. And when he was finished doing his work, he called those two disciples and he said, Go tell John what you have just seen right here. What did he see? He saw the exact fulfillment of what Old Testament Scripture prophesied that the Messiah would do. And so when he, are, he started acting like the Old Testament Messiah, he knew that John in his spirit would say, that's exactly what Isaiah said that he would do. Exactly what he said he would do. And when they went back, they told John the Baptist what Jesus had done. This is the transfer from where you are in your doubt to where you need to be in your faith. God has a word from you today, for you today. And if you will eat it, and if you will get it into your spirit and take it by faith when the world tells you that you're crazy for believing something like this, I'm telling you, it will change your life forever. You believe that today? Prayer team, I want you to come and get in behind these who have come and get behind. I want somebody behind everybody up here today. And you begin praying for them. I'm going to come through and pray as a point of contact to God's Word and His faith. God's going to do what He said He'd do in your life. If you're tired and thirsty There is Give your all to Jesus, give him 
take a step of faith that we either have to speak something or do something to it, it's not because God needs it he doesn't need it but we need it we we need to bolster our decision so that we can remind ourselves I said that and I meant that I did that and I I meant that so here's what I want you to do. I don't know how in the world you may have dragged yourself in here today. You may have been just barely coming. You may have just barely been making it. But by faith, I want you to square your shoulders up. I want you, if you've got a jacket on, I want you to button that top button. That means to the devil, I mean business now. I'm buttoning my button up. I'm getting ready to kick your backside, devil. You just need to know that right now. Button that button, square those shoulders. Wipe your lips off from all the stinky sweat that's built up there over the course of this service. And walk out of here with your shoulders and your head high 
declaring, I am the child of the Most High God. I am more than a conqueror through him who has called me. I am victorious in his name. There is no power in hell that can come against me through the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, I am an overcomer. And devil, you can't have me anymore. You can't have this situation anymore. I'm taking it back out of your hands. Uh, I put it in the hands of my Savior. And today, I declare victory in the name of Jesus. Amen. (laughs) Oh, man. Liz, I'm about to jump off this stage and shout. I told her before church, I said, why don't you just jump off the stage today and run around here one time? She said, oh, I don't, I don't do that. I said, you've done it at least once because I've seen her do it. I tell you what, I feel victory in this place today. I feel victory for somebody. I feel victory in this house today. Let's give him praise. Let's give him glory. Let's honor the Lord today. He is worthy to receive our praise. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. Amen. Everybody stand, turn and look at your neighbor. Look him right in the eyes and say, you are looking at an overcomer. Amen. And you can be dismissed. God bless you. I'll see you next week.